I have a dream to make movement practice universally understandable and accessible to anybody in the world and even understandable to those who are outside of the culture. I've started with the podcast featuring conversations that I have with teachers and practitioners who are in this community. I've learned so much from these conversations and really connected with people, both the listeners and the people that I've got on the podcast, and that's been a real joy. And so I want to pay that forward. I want to help listeners to this podcast also connect with other listeners and with teachers who I have on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to announce the opening of the Active Hang. The Active Hang is an online discussion board or a forum, a space for thoughtful and critical discussion on movement practice. You have a question? You want to meet the others? Jump on the Active Hang, say hello, ask your question and connect. My dream for the Active Hang is that it can become an asset to the community, a knowledge bank, a resource, one where people come and contribute. Where can you find it? It's on thepassivehang.com. It's free to sign up. Come in and say hello. Once more again, you can access it at thepassivehang.com. Welcome back. It's Fayon here, and we're at episode 51 of The Passive Hang. I have Tana Walker today on the podcast, who is a movement teacher, student, practitioner, who resides in Seattle, Washington, and he runs the hybrid movement practice. From dishwashing to Maui to now cultivating a growing movement community, we hear Tana's story today. We're going to get started. All right, it's episode 51. I'm with Tanner Walker. Tanner, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. And we were just chatting about weather, warmer weather. And for all the listeners out there, maybe do you want to tell where where are you located? I'm in Seattle, up in Washington. And uh, have you been there for a while? Yeah, this is place of birth. Um, I lived in Maui one year, but pretty much whole time up here. Well, what happens over in Seattle? Because I think I've only seen like an advertisement for one film, you know, sleep is in Seattle, but otherwise I have no idea what goes on in your neck of the woods. So yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, it's the most beautiful place on earth for uh, three months and the rest of the time it is very dark and gray and pretty rainy. So like I was saying, um, kind of get this little Seattle trap where every summer you're like, Oh my God, I'm in this green, luscious, beautiful place. There's mountains, rivers, ocean, you got everything you want. And you're like, why would you live anywhere else? And then September comes and it's kind of still hanging in there, getting a little colder, but you're like, no, this is going to be the year. It's going to change. It's going to be a beautiful place all year. And then October, November, the rain starts, December, it's like, okay, we haven't seen the sun. And then January and February, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I here? It's very dark. This is terrible. I need to leave. And then right when you're about to break, I got to get out of here. The sun comes back. And then you're like, okay, I got trapped again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the yearly cycle. Um, and one thing I always notice when I follow you and uh, the gram, which I do urge listeners to check out. You always share like a lot of really interesting stuff, not only from your practice, but thoughts, but you know, you're surrounded in all these beautiful 
grain woods. So I'm guessing that doesn't really happen during this January, February time. So what, what happens then? I still try and go outside as much as I can. Um, that's kind of where the practice gets funny, where if I have a good indoor space, it's an awesome time to not feel bad being inside and playing on wood floors or being in a gym when gyms were open and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So wintertime's fine for not being outside, but then I have this urge anytime like there's no rain or there's a little break, I have to be outside. And then if it's sunny, it's a for sure I'm outside. So. And does your practice um, adapt or go cyclical in nature to the yearly cycles as well? Because uh, sometimes I always think about this, you know, when it gets colder, ah, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I should be like focusing on some different things because the weather is now changing. Or I wrestle with this idea going, oh, maybe I should just be like harder or more exposed to the elements and just still keep on doing the same stuff outside as well and just experience that different environment but how about you uh i definitely do a little bit of both i guess like you kind of have to adapt like i was doing acrobatics this winter and uh, i think johnny sapinoso calls it the coconut oil meter and how he'll only live where the coconut oil is melted and that's kind of the sensation doing acrobatics in the winter here. It's like everything in your body is a little hard. <laughs> and the benefit, I should say, like you can't go as hard and do as much as I can during the summer. But then once you're in a warmer climate, it's like, oh my God, my body has melted. This feels awesome. My mobility is so much better. So kind of both. I want to, you know, depending on what my kind of, projects are and everything i still try and do whatever practice is you know interesting me at that time but sometimes you have to change it up and be like okay this is a good day to go inside and roll around yeah and tell, tell us a little bit about um yeah where you're sort of teaching and sharing movement at the moment i, I think i saw on your website is it at the fremont gymnasium yeah so i had been teaching classes at seattle bouldering project for the last five years and then Fremont gymnasium is kind of going through a whole renovation right now where they're putting in all wood floors they're putting in monkey bars we have the stall bars it's changing it looks really awesome so should be teaching there once they're done kind of with the the renovations and then I have a small group that I work with so when I was doing Seattle bouldering project classes it's open to the public you know, huge membership show up for class is just included. So it kind of went where you'd have 20 people in a class, 10 of them have been coming for the past six months, know what we're doing, super into it. And then you'd have five people who've never been to a class ever. Definitely not a movement class, have no idea what's happening. So there's always this like, it's like uh, reading a book is what I thought about it as. And like you're taking a group through a book, but then like these five people jump in on chapter eight. And so, like, okay, this is hard. I need to explain the beginning of the book, but you all are way further along. How do I run this? So I started a small group that was closed, just six people. And um, Heather Ring is someone who's been doing the practice. She actually trained with Andreas in Hong Kong originally and moved here. She has an awesome home gym in Mercer Island. So we just kind of created a separate group where it was, okay, you guys are in, dedicated, closed group, no drop-ins, and we can just 
proceed through this book without kind of interruptions. So still running that group from being outside the parks right now. So weather's awesome. Um, and yeah, that's most of my in-person stuff. And then just online people besides that. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess it's always the challenge once you keep on continuing, right? And then you want to share movement to a broader audience, especially in that sort of format. It's like you have to also treasure that there are new people trialing the experience, but then for the people that are consistent, I guess it's the age old challenge for like any sort of teacher running anything, right? It's like, you're going to have these guys all on different levels and some people getting the philosophy as well, but then other people, yeah. How have you found to sort of manage that environment? Uh, yeah. Chaos, <laughs> very muddy situation. So I think the small, once I started the small group, it was like a huge relief and it actually took the pressure off of those classes. So instead of me thinking like, I need to bring this whole group up with the rest of the group is, I kind of just changed my approach, kept it way easier kind of on the other people and in the other classes, lowered kind of my expectations of it. And yeah, you, it's kind of like a wild card. Like I always joke, like I have a whole plan written and you can get five minutes into the class. You're like, okay, well, this plan is not going to work whatsoever. <laughs> 180 degree pivot. And so been really good at having like a wide berth of things to pick from and then getting a read on who's in the class, how to shift and change things. Um, but yeah, try and just give people a good experience wherever they're at. Yeah, that's the main thing, right? And I think sometimes when you have a bit more advanced students, you kind of think like, oh, like, are they not getting so much out of it now? Because I'm trying to like help these new guys a bit more because they need a bit more handholding. Um, and then it plays with your mind, right? Because then you're like, where do I, where do I focus on? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, luckily it got to the point where most of the people that were kind of the more advanced group were already training with me one-on-one. -on -one. So it was a little simpler just to go over and, Hey, do this instead, blah, 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 and focus more on kind of the new people in the class. But yeah, yeah it's wild, wild game, the open classes. <laughs> and do you, what's your sort of, uh, what do you think of before you go into class? Do you do like a, a lot of preparation? Is it like a set sort of plan? Like you talked about pivoting just then. So do you have like a clear idea that you've written down or some sort of like broader scope within like a four, eight week sort of block where you're like, okay, yeah, we're going to tackle this. Yeah, I definitely have a plan for the class. Um, I guess this kind of depends on which one it is too. Like the open classes back before COVID, there's like a lot of partner work. So it's just a great opportunity. You have a bunch of people together, get people to meet each other, playing lots of partner games and stuff. Um, and then it's usually centered around some kind of topic, whether that's the strength or we're going to be working with acrobatics or just whatever kind of thing. There's kind of a central focus. Um, and then how the joke is too, like I have a whole page written of stuff that I'm in my mind, we're going to get done. And then once you start going through it, it's like, okay, we did like four of these things. <laughs> I planned an eight hour workshop for this two hour or one hour class, which is nice. It's kind of, I never have been uh, lacking things <laughs> to cover in class. And it's been this constant actually reduction when I'm teaching of deeper into certain concepts or into certain moves or whatever, and not trying to kill 
all 20 birds with one stone per se. I think it's probably better to be on that side rather than not have enough. And then everyone's looking at you and you're like, yep, I'm going to come up with something now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And how about um, for yourself turning to your practice, like um, how has that changed or evolved over the years? Maybe like, have you, and take us through like how long have you been practicing in this sort of way or and maybe beforehand what were you doing maybe from a, a younger sort of age mm-hmm. uh well growing up i was in a baseball family that was kind of the main gist and played a bunch of other sports did football did wrestling did basketball uh and about high school was when i dropped everything to focus on baseball so i was as specialist as you can be like pick something take it as far as you can right and so that was like the childhood dream of like i'm just gonna play pro baseball and everyone was super encouraging so i didn't have any reality check of like that's probably not gonna happen tanner so (laughs) all the eggs in one basket um i got a small college scholarship uh for pitching so i played a year in college and then when that whole thing ended kind of just fell apart like a crumbling rock um, I was super done with movement, with anything. I mean, I didn't even see it as movement. I just thought baseball mm. was all I'm going to do. Mm. Um, and I remember moving to Maui, which uh, is working on farms, traveling around. And I ended up living with this guy, Jeremy, who practiced martial arts. And there's a couple other people there who were practicing kind of Eastern martial arts. And I wanted to practice and was super interested in it. And then I was describing it. It felt like a bad breakup. Like there's this new girl you like, but the last girl broke your heart. So you're like, I can't do it. I can't. So never practiced with them. It was kind of just this big block I had to picking something new. And then moved back to Seattle. At some point, I can't remember, 2012, I think, 2013 maybe before then, but I saw the Rob Rods video interviewing Edo. Mm. And that for me was the whole explosion of my brain. He was just talking about like, why do you move? Like, what are you practicing for? And it was just this whole idea of like, you want to move the moment. It's not this one specific thing. And I'd never thought about it like that at all before. So that kind of just blew my brain open um, to kind of this whole perspective. and didn't know anyone at the time or what to do. So I just ended up going online and I found um, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu and my teacher, June, looked up the website, looked awesome, went to classes, loved it. So that was kind of my whole introduction was I'm just gonna pick something and just start and kind of see where it goes from there. So did Kung Fu for like a year. And then at some point in that, I met uh, Rafe Kelly, who's up in the Seattle area. Oh, I actually awesome. met him at, at a capoeira class, which was really funny. He was my, my partner when we were doing like partner throws and started taking some classes with him and kind of get introduced to parkour a bit. And then during one of the meetups, I met Zach Finer, who was also mm-hmm. up here at the time. And so that was kind of my first, he was doing online coaching with Edo. That was kind of my first intro into the practice with someone locally. So around that time, I think is when I got my personal training cert and started to enter this kind of field. And at first it was 
anything I can get my hands on of hand balancing, the ring strength, the mobility work, um, locomotion, you know, just testing different stuff. And that's continued, but now it's, it's kind of always been this. And what I like to kind of drive me is just where my curiosity is taking me. So maybe I get super into acrobatics for a bit. I'm looking up videos there. Um, I think at some point at this beginning point too, I went to Tom Wexler's workshop and that kind of introduced me to more of like the dance side of things. Um, modern dance classes, kind of all over the place, but currently it still switches. Like um, recently I've been super into break dancing and just watching break dancers, but Last summer it was sprinting. I remember this guy, Darian Barr, was talking on Instagram about just some different ideas of ways of looking at sprinting. And I just got super interested in that. So mm -hmm. I think this is like what I get out of kind of this movement perspective is that I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck having to be just a baseball player mm -hmm. and kind of picking one path and taking it as far as I can. But I love the ability to kind of bounce around and try out different stuff and it all kind of just comes back into being the same thing. It's still movement. It's not, you know, boxing myself in somewhere. So it sounds like you went through an interesting time of transformation, right? Like this, like you're preparing for being an athlete like with the baseball. And then was there a moment where did you have a realization where you got suddenly you're like, Oh, maybe this isn't, going to be the thing that I'm doing for the rest of my life? Is that, is that why it was a bit traumatic after that experience? Because it, you kind of shifted in identity? Totally. Yeah. That I, almost, I always describe it as like that part of me like died. Like I literally had mm. like a little, little mini ego death. Um, so yeah, I mean, completely different. I think baseball, I, I can't even like correlate how much of my life was baseball, right? It's, I played all year round. You're watching it on TV. Everyone in my life from my family and coaches are all baseball and then having none. And then now it's still funny where I remember walking in somewhere a few years ago and the world series was on the TV. It was like game seven mm -hmm. last inning. And it just struck me of like how out of that world I am now that I had no idea what month it was. I had no idea that baseball was even happening. So it was kind of cool to be like oh well and i'm getting back to the place now where instead of having this like uh resistance to it or just this like icky feeling is that now i can see the game or see people playing and appreciate the movement that's in it mm. rather than kind of the identity crisis thing that it was bringing up for a while there have you picked up a ball and thrown it recently uh yeah, actually, so in my small group, we were working on that. I was, I remember I did this at an acrobatics workshop I taught one time about just talking about like whip, whips, and mm -hmm. how acrobatics is kind of this whip that you're kind of making with your body. And it was like during the workshop that it was clicking that I'm like, oh, well, throwing a baseball is a whip. And it's super similar in a lot of ways to, you know, a follow through for a baseball pitch is not a whole lot different than doing like a raise. Mm. kind of thing like there's a lot of correlation between the two so in my small group on saturday i actually had them out learning to throw and brought them just through the mechanics of how to throw and playing catch so well i'm hoping you were throwing it with a smile on your face and not a oh this is trauma coming back 
Yeah, yeah. No, even like catch, I mean, that's probably the best part about baseball. Like, um, instead of it's kind of like this idea of like the finite and the infinite game. I don't know if you've heard of this, but like finite games where you're played to win, there's a lot loser and there's an ending versus an infinite game is about continuing play. And baseball became finite, but something within baseball that's infinite is playing catch. And this is, doesn't matter who the person is. When you go out and play catch, you don't really want to stop. And you can just do it for hours and hours and super relaxing and enjoyable. So that's uh, one of the few golden nuggets from baseball that I keep. It's almost like this in extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation divide where with the finite game, He's like playing to win, playing for a specific outcome versus that infinite game where you can start to enjoy just the experience of what you're performing at that time. Exactly. And that's how baseball kind of transitioned was when you're a kid, it is more of that infinite game of you're still playing the game. And then kind of the higher in the levels you go, the more it becomes like a job. You're like, okay, I got into college. Now the next level, mm. you either get to minor league ball or I need to find a way to continue to play the game, but there's super high stakes, right? It's like you have a very short window of opportunity. You have a ton of competition and that's kind of what college was. It squeezed all the fun out of it and just mm. became this. Yeah. Finite version. Yeah. It's a bit sad in that way, isn't it? Because during that time, it's an interesting time for all of us. I think, you know, coming out of our teens and then this, all this pressure as well, where it's like your life depends on these choices that you are making now. And you're like, holy shit, man, like I'm only just getting my independence now. And then I got to decide and I just want to enjoy <laughs> and you yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I think why I really enjoy this practice now though, is that it's like free of that. There is no end date. It's not like I have to achieve a certain skill by a certain point and that, there's something yeah extrinsic like you were saying tied up within it now it's more just this intrinsic motivation to learn more about my body to develop any kind of skills i want for the pure enjoyment of it and that there's mm -hmm. not this thing at the end of it that you know is an exchange for those it sounded like when you started realizing this as well after um i'm not sure if you said after you met rafe and after you saw the edo video but you also decided to study your like fitness certifications as well. So at that point had something already really shifted within you that you're going to be like, okay, like this is the field where I also want to, to work in. Yeah. I mean, I think I've wanted where, where to fit in this timeline. So I was washing dishes at whatever point I was like a dishwasher. And when I learned about Edo and so that was when it was already trying to incorporate movement as much as I can. I remember I'm listening to podcasts and even though I'm just a dishwasher, the goal is to be the best dishwasher that I can. Right. And how well can I wash the dishes? How fast and kind of efficient can I be with this and kind of turning it into this dance practice essentially while I'm doing it. And I actually got into health coaching first. I did like a health coaching course because I had kind of the idea of wanting to help people with the full spectrum of nutrition, um, your movement, all kind of the other lifestyle factors that are feeding you, right? Your, your community being in nature and what's kind of your environment at home on and on and on. 
and then it became really quickly apparent that like people don't really want a health coach right it's kind of like yeah i'm pretty healthy you know man i eat good food da, 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 da. so that's at some point i made the switch to wanting to do personal training and i i remember i kind of like did the burn your boats thing where i just quit my job at dishwashing forced myself to get at least the national search so i could start applying at different places and yeah it's just amazing kind of the difference that people have towards hiring a personal trainer versus a health coach because you know way easier to get work that way and then you end up having the same conversations either way like you get one weekend and now they want to talk about nutrition and they want to talk about all the other stuff so it was like uh, a good choice in that sense and then at some point in this it was like during the studies you know reading all the facebook posts and anything i can get my hands on i learned about charles poliquin and that's when I started doing seminars. It's like once I had a little bit of money saved up, I would go try and learn more at different seminars. So Paul Quinn was kind of my introduction to programming and kind of how can I go about learning strength training more rather than, you know, the, the first cert was just so you can get hired by gyms. And then from mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, I want to, <laughs> I want to learn what the best people are doing. So. And you mentioned this, drive like even from your dishwashing time where do you think that comes from is that just something innate that's always been with you or has that been cultivated well practice i've said like i think practice might be my favorite word in the english language because uh during baseball i remember i was terrible at baseball too so like me going to college was already me making ridiculous improvements because i was super small i remember I like never got a hit when I was in seventh grade. I was over the whole season. Terrible. And I met a coach, one of the new summer teams I was playing on, who had this computer program called like an IS3000, which was really funny because it was probably thousands of dollars. And now every phone can do what this thing did. But uh, we'd record your swing or like your pitching mechanics. And then we could put you up side by side with a major league hitter or major league pitcher and just start breaking down the biomechanics of like, okay, here's where you are. Here's where they are. Your hips are opening too soon or blah, blah, blah. And during that winter, I just was obsessed. I was in my garage hitting all the time, practicing all the time. And I remember that next year I hit three home runs, best year of my life with, you know, performance. And that was just where it clicked early on that like, holy shit, like you can really practice and change where you're currently at. So I've, I've had the experience that practice works. And Mm -hmm. uh, when baseball ended and all that, I think I just lost any drive to go towards something and movement perspective, at least opened me up to this kind of big meta of my life because I'm always moving. So I can always have this drive. doesn't matter if I'm washing dishes, if mm. I'm cleaning my room, right? If I'm out walking, it's kind of just this like passion to like, here's another opportunity that you can be practicing. Yeah. It's a beautiful story, man. And I think those sort of experiences are really powerful, right? When you, it's like you, one thing to hear it, but then the other thing to actually experience it and then do it yourself. And you're like, Oh wow. Like, Holy shit. Like it, it worked. <laughs> That's amazing. So at the moment, uh, who are you learning off? Are you learning off anybody at the moment? Uh, 
all over the place. Like, um, so <laughs> Doug Brignoli is someone that I'm currently learning from who he was recently interviewed on the power project and it was, it was pretty mind blowing and just kind of changing my way of thinking about things. And he's kind of talking about just biomechanics and physics of strength training and saying a lot of stuff that goes against what I've been learning all these past years, but mm. explaining it in a non-dogmatic way of just explaining physics and biomechanics. And it makes a ton of sense. So I've been experimenting with some stuff from him and then Tom Wexler recently put out the new, his new roles program. So I've been playing around with that and then not receiving any direct coaching from anyone at the moment. Cause yeah, I feel there's kind of this sh little shifts that I have where sometimes I really want to be just get the program, do what they say, kind of have the, the release of paralysis by analysis and do it. Mm -hmm. But over like the last six months, I've really been enjoying doing my own programming, doing kind of my own end of one testing on myself to see, okay, how does this work? You know, what if I did this many sessions in a day on and on and on. So trying to do it a bit more myself and then pull inspiration from different places. Yeah. I think that testing approach is really like exciting, right. As well. And it's like at the moment I'm getting like programming from somebody else and there's like a nice feeling about that as well. Cause you know, before you received the program, you're a bit like, what's going to happen. And then when you get it, you're like, Ooh, it's like this book of little secrets that's been opened and then you're practicing. But then sometimes you think the other side as well. It's like, Oh, what about if I did it myself? And, you know, there's all this other material. Sometimes I want to dip my toes in, but you're like, Oh no, but I got to stick with the program. And it's always like this grass is always greener type thing sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And as typically when I've worked with a coach in the past is when I get that paralysis by analysis of, you know, you write out your program, you're going to do, you're super stoked. You show up at the gym you're a day in, you're like, no, I must change it. I have a new <laughs> idea. <Right? laughs> like, had that in the past. And that's kind of been the difference this time is like, I think it's big just having trust in what I've learned. Like I've put in a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort learning this stuff, trust what you're doing. And it's, it's not like the end of the world. You know, you're just running a small experiment. I'm going to do this for four weeks. Let's see how it goes. Making adjustments based off that. And I'm just getting a lot of enjoyment from that right now and not getting this paralysis by analysis. But um, I think it's super useful to get a coach too because it can kind of pull you out of that and mm. just make sure you're having some consistency somewhere. Right. So when you're programming, say, for yourself, and so you mentioned you, you do it in four-week blocks and then so do you just write that out and that, that's set the plan for, for those four weeks? Yes, for the most part. So I, I you know, many different ways to structure what I thought was funny would be to do like on a moon cycle, you know, <laughs> like 28 days cycle or the menstrual cycle, whichever one. You prefer. Yep. But uh, within that, I leave a lot of wiggle room at the same time. So if there's a day where I'm just destroyed and it's not going to happen, I can take the day off of strength work for that. And that's pretty much to the only programming I do is for my strength all the other stuff playing with locomotion or acrobatics or object manipulation. I totally go by what I want to do that day. And mm. that's kind of more 
the playful side of things. Like I have these bigger goals that I want to work towards with whether it's, you know, more complex acrobatic movements or different breakdancing movements. Like I've been trying to learn the swipe, you know, and the, the flare, but I'll just depends on how my body's feeling that day and what kind of time I have available. And then also just where my inspiration's going. Cause I might wake up and, you know, break dancing interesting for me right today. I'm going to go do it. Maybe it's, I watch a wushu video and I'm like, Oh, I want to go do that. So having a lot of playroom with a lot of the other parts of my practice, the strength I like to keep on somewhat of a, a, a little plan. So. And why do you choose to do it that way? Is that because like those are always more explorative, but um, have you done it in the past where sometimes these are a bit more programmed and also like, okay, like I'm definitely getting that mood and this is the process to get there. Has that changed? Yeah. So like when I've done online coaching with Edo, you get structured locomotion, right? You're working with whatever patterns, closed system flow. And I think that's a great way to do it too. It's a good way to go deep into those. I feel like that for me, locomotion is probably the thing that comes the easiest out of all this stuff. Like it's none of it's easy, but I can, I feel like I have a very strong visual memory. So for me, I like to feed myself new stuff often. And whether that's in an isolated piece or learning to kind of combine different systems into integrated pieces or just free flowing. Like I, I feel like I can just do more and kind of learn more when I let my own curiosity take me. But because otherwise I'm just have the, you know, these six moves and it, yeah, it feels a little bit more boring to me. The whole point is I want to move freely. So why am I being super duper strict over here? Mm. Just preventing myself from finding new connections. Yeah. And on the other side of, you mentioned this has been a bit easier for you to learn. What's been like the hardest thing for you to learn and overcome? Um, well, I guess this is in a couple of different categories. Strength, I think is why I'm so interested in it is that I feel like it's just not the easiest thing for my body to do. So like all the strength I've gotten has taken a ton of work. And I'm not that strong, but you know, <laughs> it's been a huge investment there. Um, the hardest one for me right now is flips. Like I feel like the, some of the soft acrobatics isn't so scary. So I've been, been able to work on those pretty well, but flips terrify me. And so when I had access to parkour visions, uh, parkour gym in here in Seattle, could work on like a backflip and a front flip and have the mats and feel pretty confident practicing, but doing it on my own, that's a big fear block right now. Um, but yeah, I think strength has been the hardest one to figure out, which has also been kind of why I'm on this Doug Brignoli kick of exploring and learning and questioning what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And is there more efficient ways to kind of go about it? Mm. So maybe this is a good chance just to dive into like how you approach thinking about strengths and programming about strengths and these new things that you're playing around with with and these questions as well that's running through your your mind so um i'm not sure if you want to start with how you think about it for somebody else or maybe we keep it to your practice at first but you know when you're sitting down and you're like okay like i'm gonna plan out these next four weeks like what are the 
questions and the things you try and reflect on and think about to be like, okay, like this is what I'm going to do. Well, I guess this is like where this is going to get a little funny because I'm in this whole other identity crisis right now and getting my mind blown of being brought into strength work kind of through Charles Paul Quinn and through movement culture, right? It's kind of been this idea of like compound movements, right? So working towards chin-ups or kind of higher complexity of a one-arm chin-up or ring work for lower body, right? You're usually doing back squats and there's kind of that whole double body weight, holy grail you're trying to hit with the back squats and deadlifts and you have the Nordics in there and kind of all based around these compound movements, the, the straight arm strength, you know, the upper body basics ideas of stalder presses, planches and all that. So Tanner three or four weeks ago, you know, was working kind of with this idea of like the accumulation intensification phases of doing slightly higher reps, not real high, you know, but six to eight kind of range, eight to 10 for whatever three or four weeks and then switching to more of intensity phase of increasing the complexity or increasing the weight and going for these lower rep ranges and tons of different schemes of doing that, right? Whether you're trying wave loading or pyramids or, you know, all these different ways, EMOMs every minute on the minute for one rep. So I've been doing that for many years <laughs> and then, uh, I'll butcher most of this, so I would just encourage people to go listen to the podcast, but Doug Bergnoli came on um, the Power Project and was just discussing, I think the name of the podcast is Ditch the Barbell, and just starts explaining biomechanics and muscles and how the origin and the insertion, right, they basically do this one thing, right? They pull towards, the insertion pulls towards the origin. That's about it. We know resistance already, like if we were going to talk about hand balancing, like gravity is going straight down. So if you're learning to balance on your hands, it's mostly about having this control in your hands to keep that center of mass above your base of support. There's a ton of stuff, I guess, that he brings up of why we do stuff, like why are we doing rows, why are we doing squats, and he'll explain just kind of like levers in the body and how the physics change. So something like a squat, the tibia is the lever for the quads. And if we're trying to oppose gravity, we're trying to get perpendicular to gravity to most load the quads. Mm -hmm. During a squat, they only get there about 30%. The hip, femur or whatever, is getting to 90 degrees. So it's getting parallel. But then he'll go into just kind of, um, what do they call it? Reciprocal inhibition and how when you're squatting, the rectus femoris is actually shutting off, right? Because the glutes are working. And he'll just kind of explain all this stuff through the physics. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And so, kind of seeing where things cross over. So like, he's super into sissy squats. And the idea with the sissy squat is you're allowing that femur to go perpendicular to gravity. So I guess to like sum it up is, yeah. <laughs> We've been told compound movements are the best way to get strong because you're training multiple muscles at the same time and kind of how to work together. And what he's breaking down is how that would be great if that was true, but they're only all getting stimulated in different varying amounts depending on where the load is. And it could be as low as like 30% of the potential. So yes, you're 
working. I guess a dip would be a good example of this. Like in a dip, people usually are trying to strengthen their chest and their triceps. When he explains the physics of it, the anterior delt is taking most of that load. Mm. And he'll kind of just break down the math, like the basic trigonometry of if you're 180 pounds, you're doing dips, only about 119 pounds is going on the triceps split between the two. And he'll compare that with like a skull crusher with dumbbells on a decline. And because of the lever of the forearm, it's getting about 240 pounds. So it's way lighter weight, but is able to load the tissue more. And this is why you can lift heavier weights and do these heavier things is because it's inefficient in a way. You're being able to kind of disperse that load amongst things. So it's been a whole, you know, whole other side of things because you've been told and he'll explain kind of the morality and kind of the social dynamics of why we think compound movements are the best and how this has been passed down, you know, from the elders or the people who know. Um, so yeah, I would encourage just listening to the podcast because I'm, you know, a few weeks in experimenting with it all, but I'm pretty blown away and I just like how it makes me think about things differently and more deeply mm. versus just doing kind of what I've been told by certain people. Cause it's, it's not him saying it. It's like physics and biomechanics. And then it's like, Oh shit, this all makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think that's the power of different perspective as well. Right. Cause then that opens up your mind. It opens up your questioning and then you can come at sort of this maybe more closer truth or better, better answer after you, you question it a bit. So hearing that, how has that made you change up what you're currently doing? So yeah, for my strength work right now, it's all different isolation exercises in the past two weeks or so. Um, but it's, it's not saying just isolation. He'll explain too what isolation exercises are stupid, right? Because they're kind of avoiding these physical laws of, not having the opposite, the resistance opposite towards the muscle's uh, origin insertion. There's this whole idea of like early phase loading and late phase loading. So usually when the muscle's longer, it's stronger. When it's shorter, it's weaker. So you want to be giving it the most amount of work when it's at its strongest point. So I think like a good example is maybe think of like a lateral raise. And when I'm, what you see people doing if they did a lateral raise standing, right, is they're going to lift their arms. When the arm's up, the delt is at its shortest position, so it's actually at its weakest, but now it's also perpendicular to gravity, so it's getting the most amount of load at the weakest point. So he, which I've never seen anyone do, lay on your side and do the lateral raises. Now you're getting that perpendicular force when your deltoid's the strongest, mm. and it's getting easier towards the top. So it's kind of like this idea and it's pretty crazy. Like take a 20 pound dumbbell and try and do this and then lay on your side and how much easier it is with the same weight just because the mm. muscles in its stronger position. So my, uh, my experiment I'm running is playing with this stuff for a cycle or two and then going back and trying the strength work I was kind of drilling myself on. So doing a handstand push up after doing no handstand push-ups, trying to do one-arm chin-ups after doing no chin-ups, and just seeing if this works. Of his kind of argument of the muscles know how to work together, right? Well, you, you can learn the skills, just like you can take someone who's really good at one skill set 
and put them in a new discipline and they're not very good because they haven't kind of had that nervous system control. But at the end of the day, if all the individual muscles are stronger, they'll at least all be stronger as a team when you learn that coordinated skill. And since I've been doing these compound movements for many years, I don't think I'm going to just forget them overnight. So my kind of test is try this out, go back, see if it translated or not. And in the process of that. This sounds super interesting. And I think in a couple of months you should, Oh, we should do a follow-up or you should see a, a post of your, your findings and then whether it worked or not, because yeah. uh, it's almost like this, uh, bodybuilding type approach right and then you you focus on all these isolated like muscle groups as is and then coming back did that make did that make a difference i'm I'm guessing like maybe if there was like a cyclic approach where you did that sometimes and then worked on the other patterns because there's a coordination aspect as well that Mm -hmm. might that might work really well i don't know i'm interested to (laughs) to hear and find out yeah, if you see a one-arm chin-up all the way or out of nowhere, that's kind of the the little hidden goal, right? Because I still want to be able to do a one-arm chin-up. It just feels, I mean, in my imagination, it would feel awesome. Actually practicing it usually doesn't feel so awesome. So I'm, that would be just wild, right? If you worked on the skill for super long, didn't get as much pre- progress, figure out kind of biomechanics, and how you can train according to them a little bit better, shall we see, and then go back and see if you can do the skill. Because that's one, I guess, to explain, like, kind of how he, he talks about the lats and the traps, right, is that the lats insert on the arm, on the humerus, right, but the origin is on the spine. So any type of, like, rowing and chin-up work is you're not actually getting a direct pull of shortening that muscle, right? When you do the bicep and you shorten it, you're moving that insertion towards the origin doing a row for example it's not even going towards the origin and the resistance is straight ahead so it's more of a rear delt exercise so you described it like yes the lats and the traps work a little bit but not as efficiently as they could be doing on something else so doing something like a side lat pull in here where i'm bringing that origin straight to the insertion and i can just feel it in my lats and same kind of thing with uh his scap retraction, right? So you've seen like on the, the rings, just doing like ring scap retraction, but it's kind of the same idea of it's not the worst thing in the world. All of this is like a, a spectrum. So he says, he's not saying it's not working those. It's just maybe you're only getting 30% of the benefit you could be by working them by themselves. So his scap retraction would be using like cables out an angle so that you're matching up the resistance with the scapula, the kind of medial part of the scapula pulling towards the spine and i kind of had this click because i don't have a cable machine right <laughs> and don't have and that was kind of his whole point too is like this isn't supposed to be super convenient that's not the point of my book i'm just telling you what's best and then from there you obviously everything's kind of a trade-off figuring it out but i was holding my rings and i was trying to just do it like with a ring so like instead of a ring row in front the arms out to the side and pulling in here and then i was trying to do the scap retraction like that and it clicked this is basically bouldering, right? Bouldering, you're in the same angle and you're pulling towards your spine often. I don't know how many people I've, you know, seen at the climbing gym do one-arm chin-ups, but that's quite a, a high number and they're not exactly training chin-ups. So we've been talking about how like climbing translates to one-arm chin-ups. 
probably more than people who just work on chin-ups. And this is like one of those, like, okay, there might be something to what this guy is saying right now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds super interesting because we always think about this like law of specificity as well, right? Like you train directly for the thing that's almost supposed to be like the best thing for the thing, right? But this is almost a, a rethink uh, of that in terms of using these like biomechanical physical law uh, physical laws to to optimize for for that that strength goal which is super interesting and i think it there is still like that specificity but it's kind of the idea of how he would explain it is every muscle just has its job right it doesn't really understand what the other muscles are doing so if you make every muscle better at its job when you put them all on the team again to lift the log right every single one of them should be stronger so almost imagine, right, you have like 10 people trying to lift the log and maybe like two of them are holding all the weight and the other eight aren't really doing shit. Mm. And if that's the case, what if you went and you worked on everyone's ability to get stronger, you put them all on the log and now we learn to all lift the log together. So I don't think it like rules out the coordination part of it, but maybe it's not the most efficient way to get everyone carrying the log, the log stronger is you kind of take the person off the log, have them build their strength, then put them back on the log for the bigger, bigger thing. Yeah. It's like rethinking how to approach capacity development. Right. And then once you build up this capacity con concurrently or simultaneously, you, you can also work on these coordination patterns to, to learn the patterns, but in this way of, okay, we just maybe want to optimize for the attribute of strength. Maybe this is a different way or, be or better way yeah it's still kind of the same like that whole triple i equation right isolate integrate improvise like and i think they're all three super fun to work on like sometimes whether it's you know with strength work where yeah you're doing a lap pulling and you're isolating that or you know the more common movement culture isolation right is like dumbbell external rotations or trap three it's still kind of the same idea you've decided this muscle needs isolated specific work and then you integrate it in these bigger patterns and then later you can improvise with it so it's like the idea of moving up in complexity still being able to have this freedom of movement but that isolation is still a useful tool just like if you were going to learn an acrobatic move you want to learn you know whatever the rever sow you're probably not going to do the rever sow and 10 other movements right away right you're going to learn the rubber style by itself and then later you're going to integrate it in and maybe short sequences and then after that it's like cool you're improv and you can just throw it whenever you want or you're playing zen archer and you just rubber style over the stick so it's still this big goal in mind of being able to move in an improvised fashion or just have the freedom to move in all these different you know disciplines but <laughs> What if there's a better way? This is like my whole little kick right now. Like what if there is a better way to go about the isolation and kind of even taking that further? So that would be my test is like one arm, chin up, handstand, pushups, planche. How will that go? Kind of practicing this. So, to be seen. I guess that's what makes the difference between with that perspective of the orientation where a bodybuilder might just be purely isolating the muscles and that's all they're, they're doing. And then that's why normally they've got the stereotype of, you know, they're not moving very well, they're a big block. But 
if they had that further orientation of moving up in complexity or trying different like patterns, then maybe, maybe they could do all this stuff. I remember I saw some clip once and there was this bodybuilder and I think in his routine, he just like busted out a planche, you know, and he, he could just do it. And you're like, wow, that he looked heavy as well. But I guess his muscular structure could support that position. And so, yeah, he got me thinking as well about these sort of things. It's like, okay, mate, they just haven't practiced. Yeah. And they could also like the point of like a bodybuilder's goal is to bodybuild. It's not necessarily to go and demonstrate strength, but then we can come back to kind of like the strength principles, right? Of let's say one to five reps is kind of more neural work. Right. And then when you move into this, like six to 12, six to 15 is more hypertrophy. Doug would argue this is the problem is you can go heavy on the isolated movements. <laughs> you could work down to a set of six or a set of four on a lap pull in or on a bicep curl. It's not about just doing these fluff reps, super high kind of thing. So, and if the muscle stronger, the muscle stronger, that's kind of it. It's not. And also like the distinction of like, there is no like cosmetic muscle. Like your muscle is already predetermined by your genetics. Mm-hmm. It's just going to get bigger or it's just going to get stronger, but it's not going to like, change its shape and it doesn't just get bigger without also getting stronger in some sense so yeah and so with with that do you also um like normally some people say like okay like sometimes you focus like on the more intense work more neural drive work but then afterwards you also have to have a phase of hypertrophy more volume as well is that something that you integrate into your strength programming is, is is switching between the two yes and i'll say like this whole doug rabbit hole i'm in right now is like me doing it myself uh one online student who i've told about it and was interested and so a little testing there one of my in-person uh kind of older clients working with them on it but for right now everything's kind of still been programmed the other way of compound movements, working towards these skills, changing between kind of intensification and accumulation phases. Um, so yeah, doing this podcast at a funny time where I'm <laughs> in this little bit of like, I'm not so sure <laughs> right now. <laughs> so running the test on me, anyone else that wants to run the test and kind of, you know, go from there. And if not, if people prefer, just doing the body with skills. That's great. Awesome. It's like I mm. develop strength that way too. I'm just, if i if I know this is more efficient, I want you to at least know it's more efficient because it's, it's questioned a lot of my own biases. And the reason why I've thought these things were true is that it's coming from people telling me it's true <laughs> from their personal opinion and their explanation. So just having someone who challenged it and then, I mean, this is why it's great is he got interviewed on the power project, right? Where they're all power lifters. So it was, they had all the best questions to Mm. challenge it. And every one of his kind of rebuttals was like, holy shit, this guy knows this stuff. He's not, you know, he's not just speaking from personal opinion. He's someone who's done all that stuff too. And it's, I can't remember. I think it was Charlie Munger who said like, never argue uh, perspective where you can't argue the opposing viewpoint better than that. Like know the opposing argument better than that person knows their own argument before you get in the argument. And that's exactly what that podcast was where I'm 
listened to it three times in my okay <laughs> i'm gonna test this you know what i've been going to be doing later today now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i guess that's the responsibility of a teacher right as well is to seek new different things challenge and test on yourself right to then go okay maybe the way that you are currently teaching as well is not is not the way maybe there is like a different way because if you find that out it's almost then that ongoing responsibility to help your students in the utmost way and then pass on whatever you've found and discovered exactly and it's still movement like for me this is like one of those funny things of like why is a external rotation and isolation exercise and it's cool because it's programmed in movement but a bicep curl isn't it's like it's both still fits into this bigger perspective and it's not about limiting yourself to only doing this but if you are interested in this awesome you can do this too so i'm obviously still have a very diverse practice and want people to have a diverse practice because it's more options of what you can do with your body but yeah, if I've been saying one thing and I learned that maybe you weren't 100% on that, it's the only thing you really can do, in my opinion, is say it. And it doesn't negate what I've learned up to this point. And this is what I like to share anytime I'm teaching something. Like we worked on sprinting last summer and it was me letting them know, hey, this is research I'm doing right now. So this isn't set in stone. I'm kind of learning along with you guys. And then other stuff that I know a little bit you know, more in depth sharing it with them from that point of view. But it's always kind of like, this is what I know. This is maybe opposing viewpoints I've heard from so, such and such person. This is another opposing viewpoint. Take it for what you will. I'm just trying to like give you my best curation of what I've heard, but rather than a, a solid law, like this is the one thing. I like how you mentioned these opposing views because then you know, sometimes I think we can get so trapped in this like confirmation bias as well. And now we get all these algorithms as well, always showing us things that we like as well. Right. So it's some, it's getting harder and harder sometimes to see the other way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was the, I mean, I, I like to do this in general where, you know, whether it's in this community where there's kind of the split off of, people that follow one certain perspective and then other people who try and counter that perspective. I like to listen to both of them because I think they both bring up their own perspectives, which can help me develop my own perspective, but then also keeping in mind like everyone else who's like not even in this culture who aren't doing movement practice even. Right. And like your perspective is awesome too. Like my grandpa, for example, is zero interest in movement whatsoever. He's, you know, watches TV 12 hours a day loves it doesn't complain great that's your life that's a cool other perspective on life rather than just being stuck in this idea of everyone needs to move it's like i think everyone would love it if they learned to you know pursue it further but it's also good to keep in mind someone might be into music right someone's super into drawing which also in my perspective is still movement kind of like the big meta whole part of it if you're still using your body you're still being creative you're still exploring and discovering it's just this you know if you want to have even more here's a whole avenue you can look within which is your body and kind of all the potential it can you know fulfill or unravel 
So when a lot of people get into movement and they're like, okay, like it's really broad. I'm reading these things about how I need to be like trained as a generalist so that I can be adaptable and dive into all these different areas, like what you're talking about and how you approach your practice. How do you normally guide someone to start their journey to, to become that generalist? Yeah. How, how do we train to, to, to optimize for that? Is that something that you do? Um, no, <laughs> I guess <laughs> the simple answer, like most people that end up coming to me, a lot of them don't even know about this whole generalist perspective in the beginning. Like my whole just is, it feels awesome to not be stuck. And I like the freedom that the practice provides. But I think once again, like more generalist in my state of mind than I am in thinking this is going to unlock all these other things, right? Because you could have people who have a generalist practice, but I don't see them moving like break dancers, right? Or I don't see them wakeboarding. Super awesome. So like there's still this nervous system that needs to go learn all these skills. Mm. The generalist part is more like in your brain. Like, are you open to learning a wide plethora of different ways to kind of organize and use your body, have your nervous system learn skills? And that's what I try and get people into. There's also like my perspective of learning locomotion and we're going to be close to the ground. So we're going to work on squatting or mobility catches your interest. Awesome. Well, here's some mobility that's going to help with all these different moves, strengths so that you can do these different moves. But I always like to come back to like, this is your practice. And I think I've heard it described at the point, right. Of Ido saying you're moving from the generalist to the fingerprint, which I really like of like, you can't do everything. Like it's not the generalist world is too big. Like being able to choose though, like your individual preferences. And so like, I'm super into break dancing right now. I have zero interest in ballet. I'm not concerned with, ballet per se right now but maybe five years from now i want to learn ballet for some reason right and i can go down that rabbit hole so it's more like instilling curiosity in people and that you can learn all these things because that's the biggest block people i deal with is like kind of this idea that they suck it's like well yes you do <laughs> that's the whole point is that you're supposed to suck and if you suck that means you have potential in this area to improve and learn you don't have to if you don't want to, but you definitely can learn and improve. And that's usually where people just get brought into whatever area they're like willing to suck in first. Like, I want to learn handstand, but I suck at it. Great, we'll work on it. You learn to handstand, and it gives you this huge confidence in being able to learn new things. I mean, I think everyone that has the handstand has kind of gone through this. Of That was a big one for me. You for sure never did it as a kid if, you know, you're an adult learning it. And then it's really crazy when you're doing it. It's like, I'm literally balancing on my hand. It still blows my mind. I don't know how people <laughs> ever got bored with handstands. I'm like, this is pretty crazy. And it just gives you this confidence that you can suck at stuff and you can practice and you can improve and you can develop skills wherever you want. So like having that willingness to be the total beginner, I think is uh the real gift of the whole practice. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. It's not a scary thing and you're not limited by your attributes. You can improve them. You can learn new skills. Um, I just think that's super exciting. 
Yeah, so it's almost like you're meeting these people where they are, you're showing them these different array of tools which maybe they haven't encountered before, but then getting them more comfortable with the fact that, hey, because you have never encountered it before, it's okay to not be good at it, but we're going to work together. And that could be anything like strength, mobility, balance, or handstands, that sort of stuff. And then you just set that platform for them to experience whatever they want to learn. Mm -hmm. And usually, I mean, even people in my small group, they, they get to the point where they have loved learning now that they're basically down for me to take them whatever rabbit hole is my pleasing. Like we just did, I was staying in Kirkland at this place and it had a super nice wood floor and I haven't, I have carpet where I'm at right now. So I haven't done any like floor work in forever. So I'm like, we're doing floor work today. Da, 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 da. We're doing one session a week over zoom. Still we do one in person and one on zoom and everyone's super interested. Hey, can we keep doing this the next few weeks? Yeah, sure. Let's keep doing it. And then later, yeah, maybe we'll be doing something completely else. We're going to be outside doing parkour rail balancing. And so once people get to this place of not being identified as something like, ah, I just want to do handstands or uh, I just want to do cool tricks. I think it's super awesome because now you have all, it's almost like food. Like I don't want to just eat pizza. Like maybe today, yeah, you had a pizza, but tomorrow you're going to go eat whatever, a taco. And you just have this choice to switch between different flavors depending on what you want to do. Because, uh, yeah, I've done the eat the one thing, the baseball, forever. And it's you don't want to eat it every day and you just get tired of it. So yeah, It's almost like this mindset change that you're helping coach other people through, which is the same, similar to what you experienced where it's like from a more open approach to going like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for doing this. You know, I'm up for trying this, all these different array of experiences and I'm not just going to be stuck on this, this, this one thing. And so maybe when people first come to you, it's just like they've got these really specific goals, but then you help coach them towards just this orientation of going like you can learn anything and you can enjoy that. Yeah. And it's certainly like an individual approach, like depending on who the person is, where they're coming into it with kind of what knowledge, but I guess what's always in the back of my mind, like I have all the people that come and it's kind of easy where they're somewhat interested in movement. My whole hope is to figure out how can I talk to the people like in my family that don't get it, that think they have to do the fitness route, which they don't like. So they don't do it. And it's this small, narrow window of either they're watching TV or they're doing some crazy boot camp, or they're trying to get their 10,000 steps, but they don't like it. They don't like any of it. And how can I get you in the door to realizing your body is super cool. You can learn to do awesome stuff with it for the rest of your life. You don't have to just, you know, dump it on the couch or dump it on an exercise bike. If you like the exercise bike or you like the couch, whatever, do your thing. But if you're complaining, there should be options for you to choose from and just realize you have tons of options. Find something that you enjoy. And then later, you know, if you want to, you, you already ha you're already using your body. <laughs> now it's not so hard for you to go do something a little outside that comfort zone. And then, okay, I'm going to do something else. And then pretty soon your comfort zone is huge. You have no problem maybe going to take – a dance class now or a boxing class or whatever's kind of interesting you because you've practiced, you know, 
moving outside of that couch. So. And how are you going with that journey with trying to capture a broader audience and explain it to say, like, I always find that most challenging as well. Sometimes it's like the people most close around you don't want to hear what sometimes that you're in because you're so in, into it and then you're trying to share it with them, but they don't know anything about this. So how, how are you approaching it? Uh, well, I've been through the whole cycles of it. So when the whole pandemic started, it was pretty awesome where I was training my mom, my sister, and my grandma over Zoom. So that was like a huge yeah. win that all three of them are down. Mm-hmm. We're kind of game, right? And it's still not my responsibility, though, is like what I come back to. Of like, I want you to do this because you want to do it. So that's about it. I try not to be too much in their face or say anything. My whole thing is just doing my own thing. And if they want to join, they want to join. So I remember we were out at some holiday thing and I was just like sitting in the squat, drinking a beer. And my mom and her friend Darcy, who's 64, both come over and they squat with me. And we're just all squatting there. I'm like, yes. I got <laughs> in through the back door. My sister, who I used to always beat up on as a kid, right, is now <laughs> coming over and wanting to spar with me. So we'll just do some light, like Muay Thai sparring whenever she's around. She's talked about, like, oh, I want to bring my gloves and we'll hit mitts kind of thing. So. I'm trying not to pressure them, but it's, it's just running through my mind of, you know, making this practice approachable for people in some sense and not telling them this is what you have to do. This isn't what you have to do. And seeing, does anything click? Does anything stick? Mm. And it's like helping embrace the physicality, not within like a, Hey, we're doing like a training session, right? Like when you guys are just squatting down and having beers or when you're just playful sparring, with um your sister you know that's it's not like hey we're gonna be like working on this right it just like happens totally and that i mean for me this was my interpretation of the movement practice whether it's correct or not but it's just like the realization you're in a body you are practicing done end of story so like i said when i'm dishwashing for six hours that's a practice and it's not like it's gonna make me better at handstands but what it is is just making me better at practicing I'm just getting into the mode of wanting to work on this or be engaged in some way and not be off in some other place. And for me, then it's all the time. You just have, it's almost like meditation. Like if you're meditating, right, the whole point isn't to just be on that zero point forever. And if you drift, you failed, right? People are like, oh, I was thinking about shit. I suck at meditation. Every meditation class I've been to, they say, just bring your attention back, right? You're focusing on your breath. You lose that. You're thinking about the groceries or what that person said to you. And then five minutes later, you're like, oh, shit, I'm meditating. Back to the breath. (laughs) Drift back to the breath. And you're trying to just come back to it. And I think of like the moving practice is that. I can just come back to it. You're doing whatever, walking around, and then like, oh, shit, yeah, I'm in a body right now. What am I feeling in my feet? How is my spine feeling while I'm walking? I'm on the airplane. Can I flex my calves without anyone seeing. Okay. Can I do my butt? Okay. No one saw me, right? So it doesn't have to even be this dramatic thing, but just realizing I'm in a body all the time and wh- why not? Kind of. mm. I think that's the difference between move between like, okay, like I'm just like training for something and that's always have like specific sessions for that goal versus a wider practice where you're just, 
going like you can practice consistently all the time right and then it's just this awareness that you keep on bringing or you keep on reminding yourself of and then going okay yeah like it's happening right now exactly and that's what i love about the perspective more than anything is like yes handstands i think are cool acrobatics super cool shooting hoops like i've been shooting hoops lately super cool it's all super cool we're in this crazy body we have no idea what's going on in this universe it's all trippy and awesome it doesn't even have to look a certain way or be a specific thing you're still in it so these are just cool things that you could also do if you wanted to but Mm -hmm. I think that's the more important part is just realize you're in a body. You can do what you want with it. You don't have to be stuck doing what other people want you to do per se. So I wanted to zoom in a little bit in this container of locomotion for a little bit, because you share always like some really interesting tidbits, which also sometimes I I try because I'm like, Oh, what's Dana doing? This is, this, this seems interesting. Um, so how do you normally approach this part? I know we talked a little bit about like what you do personally, but maybe when you're coaching like a group class or you're taking your group through it, like, uh, yeah. How, how do you, what approach do you normally prefer in terms of like teaching others to, to learn locomotion? Yeah. Once again, I think it depends on the group so there's a little funny backstory so at the bouldering project when i would teach classes we would do the game called bad teacher i don't know if you've heard of it but it's doing any such whether it's footwork patterns or locomotion patterns but doing it across the room with no verbal instruction so i tell everyone beforehand it's just like you got dropped in a country where you don't speak the language so we're not even going to try and just explaining mirror neurons, right? And I have everyone mirror me. We go through a little, you know, mirror dance of awesome. You can empathetically feel what I'm feeling and can repeat it back. So we're just going to use that system. There's going to be no direction. And it'll just be like 15 to 30 minutes of me doing stuff across the floor. And there will be these moments that happen so often. I was like, this is crazy of doing like the Ole or doing the monkey. And people like struggle for a second. They look around they figure it out. We can go practice those exact moves later in class with instruction and they'll be more confused. (laughs) It will be harder for them to grasp it once the language gets put in than they did without it. So that's usually with the the big groups. If I do, there's a lot of nonverbal, like even if you mess up, who cares? You know, you made up a new pattern, if anything. (laughs) And then it becomes kind of their bodies who's in class about what moves they can do. Usually trying to take people through some specific patterns by themselves first. Once they've got that, learning to maybe integrate them into small sequences and then maybe doing some closed system flow at the end. But it'll shift. So my small group that I meet with have learned a ton of different patterns. So it's, it's usually picking on them depending on what I see of their own tendencies. Like if I see someone who's always doing the same moves, it's challenging them to change levels or come up with different dynamics of what mm-hmm. they're doing. But play different games sometimes. Like we'll do a basically like an A plus B link. So maybe it's like we take the lizard crawl 
And I want you and a partner to work back and forth and connect 10 different patterns, either into the lizard crawl or out of the lizard crawl. So it's sometimes working in isolation, learning a new skill, they don't have it, or honing a skill that's kind of, you know, semi-good. Integration could be either me giving them two patterns to put together or wanting them to kind of pull from their own knowledge of what they've learned thus far and learning to put them together and kind of do it in this messy way. Like I almost think of them like Lego block building. Mm -hmm. And this is what I would do a lot where I'm at the gym and I'm just like sitting there. (laughs) You do a move and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what other directions can I go to? What else is kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. but not forcing myself to do it in a, right now kind of thing like think about it what dynamics are you doing how can you change the dynamics in a new interesting way and maybe you and the partner work back and forth and do 10 of those or something and then later it's fun to do closed system flows because it forces you to find those new patterns kind of with this little time restriction of momentum i need to keep moving that's usually the rule i have right rule number one don't stop moving rule number two try not to repeat yourself rule number three execute the techniques as best you can but don't forget rule number one it's most important so in that sense as you get better at keeping the momentum going you can kind of have your brain a little bit ahead of your body and find new directions that you can take the patterns rather than just repeating yourself you realize you're in a pattern break the pattern break the pattern break the pattern break the pattern and then yeah other times it's just like open open improvisation use anything you want Maybe you just even, if anything, we limit it to, you know, 10 seconds, just flow, 10 seconds, 30 seconds. So same thing of the other ones, like isolate, integrate, improvise, which ones I do and which ones I do with them is like changing day to day. Cause I don't think Mm. one is the ultimate one. It's that they're all super useful in different ways. Can I expand your vocabulary? can you learn to actually use that vocabulary right and at the end of the day there are no rules to this whole thing this is why i like it it's yeah. like going to a skate park kind of thing just thrash so. <laughs> <laughs> and like for the improvisation part do you normally approach it similar to like that bad teacher way where you just like just go do it or do you sometimes say like uh think of a certain idea or quality or, or, or thing to focus on? Yes. Option two. Like, I, I guess a lot of this depends on what I'm seeing with the group and I'm trying to pull them out of the patterns that I can see. So I'll do the same thing when I watch myself is like, okay, you have these tendencies. What's some new things that you could try to explore with what you have? And maybe it's doing different restrictions. Like, okay, you're going to flow, but you can't come higher than your butt, right? It all needs to be on the floor. Mm. Or it's going to be a, I want you to try and change levels as much as possible. So don't get stuck being in a quadruped the whole time. How much can you get up? How much can you get down? Maybe it'll be an orientation in the space. This happens, especially because in classes, big classes, right? And if you're learning isolation, we do it across the room because it's all economic. So that's like the early tendency is that people do locomotion in a straight line in the space. So it's having this kind of circular orbit perspective of the space. How can you explore the space in different ways? Almost like you're drawing a picture with yourself 
And maybe it's not just two-dimensional, but I have this three-dimensional option of going upward in space and around. And it's been useful too with doing classes on Zoom where everyone has a different size room and everyone has kind of different material on the floor. So like this person has carpet, that person has hardwood. Mm -hmm. It's like make your choices kind of depending on your environment, be aware of the environment you're in, but then realize like you have this three-dimensional perspective on the space too. It's not just like what you can do on the floor. You have all this Mm. up and around area you can explore too. So a lot of times too, it'll just be different restrictions or giving them different little cues to think about, but it's super open for the most part. They don't have like a strict da, 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 da. I, I really just want people once again to like enjoy doing it on their own. So what I've done with like online clients is either when they're starting, usually having them build up isolation, integrating some patterns, doing some closeness, some flows. And then once they have kind of a good enough vocabulary, just some, you know, substantial amount of words to play with, as I just schedule locomotion research at the end. So set your timer for 20 minutes and play. Build your own sequences, explore what you find interesting with what you know, find new connections. And honestly, I use that to steal ideas. Like they come up with stuff all the time. I'm like, oh, nice. I've never seen that before. You know? <laughs> so, and I think that's more fun because now it's like you're creating it yourself. You're not just repeating what I told you to do. You found your own way to link all these together. And that's why I enjoy it. It's like, whoa, I've never done that. That was fun. I think that's really nice, like setting that that time and just being like, hey, you know, whatever happens, happens, and we're just going to explore. And I have to laugh about that sort of lateral movement because I've definitely caught myself doing that before. And then you look at the video and you're like, why am I always traveling in this straight line that that <laughs> that, that that's a, that's a bit, bit funny and then you catch yourself and then you're like okay did you change it and you're like oh okay this is this is new isn't it i mean similar like i think um what i'm working through a lot now which is like okay like always getting used to returning to the squat position you know like the squat is the home and then from from there you can find yourself into a new one and just breaking that and being like okay well actually how do you go from one to the other and just keep on going and going, but not having to go to that, that, that home position, because then again, you look at the video and you're like, why am I always just half the time? I'm just squatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was like describe like the, that connector piece is good at first when you're not used. It's like almost like putting someone on the back roads when they learn to drive before you put them on the freeway mm. where they have to make, rapid decision so it's like a little bit safer you have a little bit of delay before you have to enter the next move and then you get another little delay before you have to enter the next move but you can still keep the flow moving through the squat but you don't have to be quite as sharp or as i can't remember who said but it's like the idea of living in the future like Mm -hmm. my brain is slightly ahead of my body and as a challenge what i like to have people do eventually is all fusions is like what ito coined it of instead of returning to that squat, at what point can I just go off into a different direction, right? So everything is a connection point rather than thinking, this is the beginning, this is the end of the movement, here's the little in-between pause before I do the next beginning and the end. It's like, can I do a macaco out of a lizard crawl? (laughs) 
how would I do that? How do I need to make these slight adjustments to be able to do it? Or, I mean, this is why I really am enjoying breakdancing, right? It's like they kind of break all the rules. Everyone is doing stuff that I've never even seen before. And it's not even that complicated. And it's, you know, they can just be on their back doing some different knots and everything. And it helps just break my brain open to knowing like these patterns are a good starting place to get you moving. But it's not, once again, written in stone. This is how you have to do it. You can do it any which way you really want. This is just, you know, getting you going on the language. And then from there, you can take it anywhere. Yeah, because I think you only have to go to like a break dancing group or a dance group to just be like, oh, like this this thing that I was doing before is yeah why was I doing that, that way because I know like you know like they do like the grass cutter but then that looks completely different because then they mashing it up with some other sort of move with some other sort of kick and you're like oh okay that, that, that's interesting <laughs> yeah totally yeah breakdancing has really been blowing my mind <laughs> I can watch basically any other practice right now and there's like yes it's all awesome but in my brain right now the breakdancers are insane like it's just crazy the level that they're at so and for me it just helps i like using kind of the movement culture locomotion and i like going to watch capoeira because they have a lot of stuff that fits with it all but then breakdancing just really breaks out of all of that it's this whole other you know kind of thing and then studying with tom tom kind of has his own style so I almost like, it's almost like playing a video game and choose your character kind of thing. So like maybe one day I watched a Roy E video and I'm like, okay, I'm going to move like Roy E today. <laughs> and then another day, you know, it's B-Boy Jr. Shit, that was cool. So like using my imagination and playing with these different people's styles, I think is super fun rather than just thinking, you know, once again, being blocked into an idea. It's like you're gathering your XP. And then you can just build up your, your, your attributes where you, where you see fit. You can spend, totally. spend the coins. Exactly. Yeah. So apart from this, one thing I'm interested in gathering is, or asking you about is, you know, with a lot of all this movement training, like it can be sometimes quite tiring and energy, energetically, how do you normally manage your energy you know, day to day, week to week? Do you have specific practices? around that um definitely has been a big one for me is getting sleep like i think uh last year and pretty much i think what's just helped has been actually the the whole covid situation is not needing to be at the gym early to work with students <laughs> so it's changed my routine to where like i start working with people at eight o'clock online and then before that, I can still have my morning. And then I've just gotten good in the last six or eight months at going to bed at a good time. So before it was super late at night kind of thing, just ended up being awake to like 11 or 12 and then having to get up at like 6.30, 6. Or there's just always this like six to seven hours of sleep and I would be playing the caffeine game a lot mm -hmm. of the time. Now it's been super consistent. I'm getting eight plus hours a night. That's very useful. Um, protein, I feel like as long as I'm up on protein and I'm not, you know, kind of missing that, that helps me stay in it. And then, I mean, really it's just 
enjoying this practice to where I don't ever take things or expect them to always be there. Like I remember um, it was funny cause I did this and then I read DJ Murakami's posts the next day about it. I'm like, this is hilarious cause I'm already doing this, but now I have a name for it. But I just felt like shit one day and I'm like doing some joint mobility and warming up in the squat. I try and hang everything just feels like dog shit. I'm like anything I try and I still am kind of hanging in there, moving around little different ways. And then it just like pops in my head to like go work on vertical kicks. And I go down and do like, you know, like tornado kicks and pop crescents and all that. And it felt awesome. And it was like, I got this huge ignition of like, Oh shit, this is what I'm doing today. And I, it was this whole flavor route that I went down. I'm like, wow, I had no energy to do any of this stuff I had planned. And then I found this nugget over here and I'm like, wow, I have a ton of energy for this. And then the next day I see DJ had made this post about having a playbook instead of a program. And the idea of it's almost like an NFL team calling plays, like depending on the defense, the place in the game, you just choose plays as you go rather than thinking you're stuck to one way of doing it. So I use my playbook often. Usually the, the strength is pretty much consistent and I make sure I'm like fueled for that when I do that. But as far as the rest of it, it's like test things out rummage in my brain of all the different things I've learned and then just start doing it. Whichever one kind of giving me the ignition. I'm like, okay, great. This is where I can go. And I think that's a big part of it is like people are probably just bored. Like, Oh, I got to go do X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, why? <laughs> like, yeah, you, you could, if you really want to make yourself, but you also don't need to, maybe you do this other thing and then you're like, okay, now I feel like doing that thing. I was going to do. Mm. So I like to use, the practice for me and rather than me thinking I have to do the practice for the practice. It's like, I'm going to practice either way, but the whole point is practice is supposed to be making me feel better, not make me guilty because I didn't do what I wrote that I was going to do. Mm. And it's like finding that thing for that day that is going to give you the energy, just like when you found the kicks and then it's like, okay, like that, that's what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, if I want to like go, there was one day a few weeks ago where I was like, I really want to go shoot hoops. And it was just, it's an option. It's not blocked out. It's not like, oh, I must do my hand balancing. It's like, I want to go play basketball. I'll go play basketball for two hours. And that's the whole beauty of this thing is like, it's all still the same thing. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still practicing. I'm still doing movement. But the bigger my kind of play chest, the more options I have to choose from, depending on how I'm feeling. Definitely. And outside of the movement practice, do you have any other practices or, or habits? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I try to play. I mean, yeah. So I'll explain this. I, one of my favorite video games when I was younger, right. was elder scrolls. I don't know if you ever heard of this, like oblivion. It's I've like, heard of oblivion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like heroin. It was too good. It was a game where I'm up or I would get up at like six in the morning and play it all day. It was like my favorite game ever. And I like haven't played video games in whatever, 10 plus years. And during the pandemic, I got an Xbox and I got Oblivion and I tried to play it. And this is like, once again, why I just love the movement is it didn't happen. It was more like I'm sitting there trying to play it. I get like an hour or two in 
my eyes hurt. My body's kind of like, I can just feel that I'm living kind of in this outer world of the game. Like the game's kind of fun, but I realize like I'm a video game at this point. Like my whole life is a video game. I can go do this myself right now instead of playing by kind of the Mm -hmm. rules of this thing. So that has been interesting just to see of like, okay, I'm doing this because it's super fun. I've, I've talked about music is going to be what I start when I'm 40. (laughs) I'm practicing right now. I really like this kind of physical based practice and music is just something I haven't approached yet. So that's, I'm saving it though. That's going to be my forties. What instrument will you start with? Uh, Okay. Well, first it's going to be singing because once again, I like the, the minimalist kind of thing whenever I can. So being able to sing and hit notes, I think would be awesome. And then from there, probably a guitar. So, but I, I don't know. Probably mostly going to be singing first. I think that's the one that, yeah, it, that, that interests me also for that same reason, because then you could just bust it out without, without anything else, right? Yeah. Other than maybe say like beatboxing, but it's also uh-huh. the one I think that like scares me the most because then it's really coming from yourself, right? You don't have like this instrument to blame either. It's like, okay, this is, this is me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so that one will be eventually. And then, um, I mean, I like the outside of nature but I, pr- I pretty much, I feel like I have this ultimate video game that goes everywhere with me, which is the practice. And it can be with anything. Like if you're hanging out with friends and like conversation like we're having right now is still part of that, still part of the practice. Mm. So I just, as much as I can try and kind of draw these lines, connecting things rather than thinking this is separate from my practice. Now I'm talking to my family. It's like, no, that's still in the same kind of realm. So it's hard to say. <laughs> so otherwise, like what have you got planned for this summer and I guess to, for the near future? Um, can you share any sort of thoughts or things that you are building towards or thinking of doing? So this summer I'm going to be teaching at the Fremont Gymnasium. They're kind of doing this whole renovation and have put in all wood floors, which I'm super stoked about. Um, they've put monkey bars in around the whole place. Total vibe change looks awesome. I'll be teaching classes there. So I'm um, going to be doing that through the summer. And then come winter, fall, it's debating if I'm going to move out of the the Northwest for a bit. I'm definitely, I'm getting into that, that trap right now because it's super nice here. So you're like, why would I ever leave? But I, I knew last winter, I'm like, I don't want to do another winter here. So talking with my girlfriend, we're still debating of, do we want to try out San Diego for a winter? Do we want to go to Maui for a winter? Uh, my friend Paul just moved to Costa Rica, like maybe Costa Rica. So a lot of undecided still past this summer. And then for the summer, at least just in the city doing my thing. Awesome. Tanner. Well, I mean, wherever you go, I'll be following your adventures with uh, with keen interest, whether it be singing or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some some other new new practice that you'll be <laughs> be try trialing or the outcome of this strength practice as of uh, this this new strength 
approach as well. Uh-huh. Um, but otherwise, for all the guys listening, I guess, if they're interested in you know, getting in touch with you, finding out your work as well, what sort of way do you normally prefer? Uh, Instagram is probably the easiest. Just Tanner Walker underscore HMP. And just uh, I have my website, hybridmovementpractice.com. Probably the easiest. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you for sharing insight, your time, your story. I had a pleasure listening to it. Thanks for having me, man. That's a wrap, guys. That's episode 51. Thanks so much to Tanner for jumping on the podcast. He was real fun to talk to, a real true guy. So I recommend getting in touch if you really resonated with what he was talking about today. Thanks to you guys for your ongoing support once again. And if you'd like to get in touch, if you'd like to ask any questions, if you'd like to make any podcast guest recommendations, please send me a message. You can find me either on the active hang on the passivehang.com. Otherwise, you can also find me on Instagram. That's at Fayon P, at P-H-A-O-N-P, and then send me a direct message. I'd love to hear from you. That's all for today. I will see you guys in the next episode.